0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through his word and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. Now let's turn our attention to God's word. So we're going to hear God's word this morning from Genesis chapter 44, uh, sliding into chapter 45 because chapter 44 kind of ends on a cliffhanger and that just would not would not do to just end at chapter 44. It just, it just wouldn't be right. Uh, so we're just gonna go a little bit into 45 as well. This For those of you who've been here, uh, this is continuing in the story of Joseph. Uh, for those of you who've not been here, uh, this is still continuing in the story of Joseph. Uh, but to, to fill you in quickly, Joseph was the favored son uh, out of his 12 brothers, favorite of his father that made his brothers jealous. Uh, and as a result, they, uh, almost killed him and instead sold him into slavery in Egypt. Um, And so Joseph was separated from his brothers. His family thought he was dead, uh, has thought that for many years. He has been down in Egypt where he suffered a great deal, but ultimately because God allowed him to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, he has put Joseph in the position of being in charge of all of Egypt. While Joseph manages Egypt through a devastating famine, Uh, they had seven years of good and plenty, Uh, during which time Joseph stored up all the grain in the land uh, to provide for the coming seven years of famine. And we get to this point, it actually turns out, we'll hear it in this uh, section, that the famine has been going on for two years. There's still five years left to go of famine as Joseph tries to manage the grain supplies that they have. But part of that is his brothers came down to buy grain in Egypt, not knowing that Joseph was in charge. And he has been... Uh, You might say toying with his brothers. Uh, That's probably a little trite. He's really been testing his brothers. He's really been working through what it means to bring about true repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation with his brothers. So they came down to buy grain. He sent them back and said, bring your brother Benjamin. They didn't want to do that. Benjamin didn't want to come. Jacob, his father, didn't want to send Benjamin. And finally, they were desperate. And so they came with Benjamin. Joseph feasted with them and is now sending them back home. Uh, But another another test is coming. So this is Genesis chapter 44, after uh, Joseph has feasted with his brothers, but they don't know who he is. They think he's just the governor of Egypt. And they really don't understand how he's kind of been very rough to them, but also treated them very well in a lot of other ways. So they're on their way home. Genesis 44, starting verse one. Then he commanded the steward of his house, that's Joseph commanded, fill the men's his brothers sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack and put my cup the silver cup in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain that was benjamin and he did as joseph told him as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys they had gone only a short distance from the city now joseph said to his steward up follow after the men and when you overtake them say to them Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, Let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead and he alone is left of his mother's children. and His father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. For if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs and evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, Then, as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father." See, that's why we can't, we can't stop there. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have there. I will provide for you for there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept and Benjamin wept upon his neck and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you did this that you brought about this amazing reconciliation, uh, this amazing uh, work that you did. Thank you that you caused it to be written down and preserved for us, that this might be your word for us today. Would you take this word and sink it deep into us, that it would not merely be information for our heads, but transformation for our lives, changing the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, There is a, uh, you may, many of you may know, but some of you may not know uh, the story of Louis Zamperini. Uh, Louis Zamperini. His story is uh, most famously told in the book, in the movie, Unbroken. Uh, But Louis Zamperini was first a a runner and Olympian. Uh, He competed in the 1936 Olympics, and then he uh, joined the Navy or or the Army or the Air Force. Now that I think about it, I can't remember. He was in the Pacific uh, during World War II, and he was shot down uh, during World War II. Uh, And he actually survived for 40-some days on a raft in the Pacific Ocean. If I have that number of days wrong, don't don't hate me for it. But I think it was forty some days that he survived on a raft, and it was brutal. And then he ended up uh, landing on the Marshall Islands, which were uh, uh, in control of the Japanese, and so he was captured there and spent most of the rest of the war then in Japanese prison camps, uh, being tortured. And so right now, this is this is this is just—it's a brutal story. It's a brutal story. Um, he did survive uh, just incredible torture in these prison camps, and ultimately was released towards uh, the end of the war, as the U.S., the United States, and the Allies uh, came towards victory in Japan. But coming back after the war, he, he could not handle it. Uh, he suffered deeply from PTSD, as anyone would expect, and he was uh, being overtaken by drinking and could not get along with his wife. It was just it was it was miserable. And then one day. She went to a Billy Graham crusade and she was converted. She met Jesus at that Billy Graham crusade in the late forties. And she and some friends said to Louis, like, Hey, you got to go, you got to go. And he dragged himself there and he met Jesus and his life was transformed. And the thing that was transforming to his life was not just some happy, Oh, you've met Jesus, but specifically that through Jesus, he was able to forgive. And the story of Louis Zamperini is that he was able, by the power of Jesus, to forgive those who had tortured him. And he was able to see God preserving him, even in the midst of the incredible suffering that he endured. And he became an evangelist. Uh, Billy Graham helped him uh, begin his own ministry of evangelism, including, so he he started uh, doing evangelism, telling people about Jesus, including he even went back to Japan, ultimately, and went back to the same prison camps where he had been held and offered forgiveness. Uh, to the Japanese soldiers. Now, all of them, all of them together, old men. Uh, but he offered forgiveness to them, and in that, they saw Jesus and put their faith in Jesus as well. At least, at least some of them. Uh, so and so Zamperini lived. I mean, he he lived to be old. He only died. Uh, I think he died in 2014. Uh, not not that long ago. So he lived for a very long time, uh, telling people about Jesus and sharing the good news. But. But he lived a life of incredible suffering. And, we can't, and in, the, in the good ending of it, we can't miss the suffering that he went through and the importance uh, and, and the ways in which he was hurt by evil and by sin and the role that forgiveness played in his story. And so when we, see, when we look at the story of Joseph, we don't see the exact same story as, as Louis Zamperini. But what we do see is the same story of suffering a story of incredible suffering, a story of the consequences of sin, and a story of the power of forgiveness. And we see the great truth here, that the great truth of Genesis 44 into 45 is what Joseph says, it was not you, but God. That's the truth that is here for us this morning, is that despite the suffering that Joseph endured, Despite the forgiveness that Joseph displayed and offered to his brothers, despite the blessing that he brought to the land of Egypt and to all the lands around, the truth here is not you, but God. The truth here is that God brings his blessing through suffering. God brings his blessing through suffering. And that's a beautiful truth that if you're in the midst of suffering, that God may bring blessing through it. It's also a hard truth that suffering is going to be there. There there really is not much blessing uh, without some degree of suffering. It is simply not possible that we just float through this sin-sick world and everything goes well. The blessing of God comes through suffering because God is the one who's at work. And God is so powerful that he can do that. So what do we do with that if we know that God brings blessing through suffering? Of course, we give praise and glory to him. We wait and look for his work to take place. We look for the aspects of blessing. We trust him in the midst of our suffering. But fundamentally, the message for us in Genesis 44 of what we're to do is to walk in repentance. For if the main message of Genesis 44 is that it's not you but God, that God is at work, that God brings blessing through suffering, the next message is that Genesis 44 is the story of Joseph's brothers. And when we look at Joseph's brothers, we see their steps of repentance. And as we look closely, we can see what it means to walk in repentance as we see the ways that Joseph's brothers have changed throughout this story. So we see three aspects here of what it means to walk in repentance that we can go through fairly briefly. The first is to admit sin. The second is to embrace grace. And the third is to pursue reconciliation. Admit sin embrace grace, pursue reconciliation. That's what it means to walk in repentance in response to the, the knowledge that God brings his blessing through suffering, that God is the one at work orchestrating all of this. So first, to admit sin, you may remember, if you've been here and were paying close attention, that Joseph's brothers, when they first came to Egypt, they were racked by guilt. As they, as they faced an angry governor of Egypt who wasn't really giving them what they wanted and was asking hard questions, Reuben, the oldest said, this is because of Joseph. This is because of what we did to Joseph. But they didn't really do anything with it. They were racked by guilt and they just did nothing. They just took the grain and went back home. They found the money had been returned to them and they just stayed at home with it. They weren't quite there yet. So they didn't realize it when they, were, when they were cruel to Joseph and they sold him away. They really didn't embrace it even when they uh, realized the guilt of it. But here in Genesis 44, now they're ready to admit guilt, which is interesting because they do nothing wrong in this story. Like Joseph's just tricking them and deceiving them, really, putting money back in their sacks, putting the cup in. But look at what they say in, in chapter 44, verse 16. When they come back to Joseph, Uh, Joseph's like, what have you done stealing my cup? One answer would be, we did not take the cup. I think you put it in the bag. But instead, this is what Judah says in verse 16. What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hands the cup has been found. Judah speaking for his brothers says, "We're, we're guilty. Now, in the moment, in a sense, he's admitting to the theft of the cup that they don't, didn't really do, but what he's really saying is our guilt for selling our brother into slavery has been found out and we must accept those consequences. We see it again in verse 33, when Judah's pleading with Joseph because Joseph's like, Hey, I'll just keep Benjamin. The rest of you all go back home. And Judas like, that's not, that, that is, that is not going to work. And so he makes this offer in verse 33, now, therefore, please let your servant, that's Judah, remain instead of the boy, Benjamin, as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. Here, Judah offers himself up. Judah had actually kind of tried to prevent his brothers from uh, killing, first killing Joseph and then selling him off into slavery, but not very effectively. And here, Judah, it realizes his guilt and he goes all in. He says, look, we're guilty. He says, look, I I will even put myself in the place. I will accept the consequences of my sin. And see, this is where for us to admit sin, to really walk in repentance, we have to admit the depth of our sin and the depth of the consequences of it. Most of us, it's hard to even say that I've sinned or even to apologize, say I've done something wrong. And even when we do that, we often want to go quick with it. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. All right, let's get back to it now. And you can even look at this story and say, why couldn't Joseph have forgiven his brothers back at the beginning? Because it wouldn't have been real. It wouldn't have been deep. If they had showed up and he had just said, hey, everything's forgiven, no problems, they would not have come face to face with the reality of their sin. To truly walk in repentance means to accept the consequences of our sin. To say, I realize that because of this sin, I have harmed this relationship. I realize that I have, I have harmed the, the people's ability to trust me for future jobs. If you've, you know, if you have sinned in your workplace and you say, I, I realize that there are jobs that may no longer be open to me or that you cannot trust me again. In some cases, you may realize I have sinned in such a way that this relationship is broken and there's no human way for it to be restored. And that is my fault. And when you accept and you admit that sin and you sit in the consequence of that, that is really the first step of walking in repentance. Because once you do that, then you can move to the second step, which is to embrace the grace that God offers. Because God, because not you, but God, humanly speaking, you admit your sin, you accept the consequences and they're awful because sin causes devastation. But once they acknowledge it, once they admit it, we get 45 verse five. And now do not be distressed. This is Joseph speaking. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God has sent me before you to preserve life. There is the grace. Do not be distressed or angry. Stand up, stand up and hear don't actually stand up, but this is what we say in worship. Stand up and hear the good news. Lift your head high. Do not wallow in your sin. Do not wallow in your shame. For once you realize the consequences of your sin, the horror of it, God says, my grace is so much greater. And sometimes we have trouble embracing that. We have trouble, sometimes we get stuck in the badness of our sin, and we don't want anybody to see. Sometimes, it's time for the mystery bag, we put on masks. Look, it's an Iron Man mask, not a COVID mask. This is an Iron Man mask. So if I put on this mask, like, why do we put on masks like this? Sometimes it's to hide our faces. Sometimes it's to look tough. Do I look tough right now? Do I, do I look like Iron Man? Not, not really, right? I need, I need the whole armor. But when Iron Man puts on his whole armor, he looks tough. You can't see his face. He's, you can't know who he is. He's a tough guy. And we do the same thing. We try to look tough. We try to not admit our sin. And then sometimes even we kind of admit our sin. We just, we don't want to see anybody. We don't want to really admit it. We're just going to look tough on the outside. We're going to hide ourselves from other people. So it's easy enough to say, "Well, take off the mask. But the great truth of grace is that when we take off the mask, we're still still stuck with some pretty ugly sin after we take off the mask. That's why we put it on in the first place. The Bible actually tells us to put on a new mask. The Bible tells us that to embrace grace is not simply to admit our sin, but to put on the mask of Jesus. That the great truth is that Jesus gave his life, that Jesus' perfect life was given to us. And that when he went to his death on the cross, as we rehearse and remember every Sunday, he exchanged his life with ours. so Not only did he take the ugliness of our sin and put himself in as that substitute to take the place to be punished, but he gave us his life. And he said, here is a new mask to wear. It says that in the New Testament, to dress yourself, to put on the clothing of righteousness, to put on Christ. And this is a mask that is not just covering up, but a mask that becomes who we actually are. And so to embrace grace is to say, yes, I've sinned, but yes, God, it's not me, it's God. And his grace is so much better and I can walk in truth and in shame. I can walk in truth. I can walk in honesty. I can walk free from shame because of what God has done for me and the life that he has given to me. The life of his son, Jesus, to put on to wear to become more and more like him each day. So that when we're wearing not this mask, but the clothes of Jesus, just like you can put on Iron Man and suit and think, I'm Iron Man, I'm Spider-Man. We can go out and say, I am like Jesus. I have the life of Jesus in me. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, I can live that way. That's why we're called the resurrection community. It's not just a name. It's the power of Jesus in our lives. What is our community formed by? It is formed by the power of the resurrection of Jesus that lets us say, yes, I have sinned, yes, I have done wrong, I'm imperfect in myself, but I am being made new by the resurrection of Jesus. And we're being made new as a church, as a community, by the resurrection of Jesus. And so we admit our sin, we embrace that grace, and that lets us truly pursue the reconciliation. 45, 15, I love it. He kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. That's it. They talked. They were, they were reconciled. They were a family again. This is where God is going. This is the new community that He is creating. Here, day in, day out, in our church family, we want to see a little taste of that community. The ultimate community is yet to come. When all of God's people are gathered together in the final resurrection community. When we come, when Jesus comes again and restores our, our bodies and souls together in new life, forever and ever that we are reconciled together. The ultimate expression of that is yet to come. Parts of it we may never see in this earth. In the story of, of Zamperini, he did a lot of amazing things in his evangelism for many people. He offered forgiveness to his captors, but there was one in particular, the bird who tormented him more than any other. He even offered forgiveness to the bird, but the bird would not meet with him. He sent him a letter offering forgiveness but nobody knows whether it was ever read or received. We just don't know. That's the incompleteness of this life. We get little tastes of it in the resurrection community. We get little tastes of it in the church. We get little tastes of it in other relationships, but it's incomplete in this life. But our faith is that by the power of Jesus, it will be complete one day. For Jesus himself exemplified more than any other that God brings blessing through suffering. A teacher of mine used to say, there's no, cro- there's no crown without the cross. That before Jesus would be raised up to glory, he had to go through the depths. And that's what he did for us. Just like Joseph going down to Egypt and then being raised up to bring blessing to the nations, Jesus himself went through the suffering of life, took all of our sin upon himself, and then turned it around into what we now know to be the glory of the cross. The cross by itself is not glorious, but the empty cross is glorious. For Jesus is no longer on that cross. He is raised from the dead. He took all of our sin and shame and he nailed it to the cross. And then he is seated at the right hand of the Father in glorious resurrection, interceding for us and pointing us to the day where we are all be made new as a resurrection community together. So in the meantime, we, as we walk through this earth, we walk in repentance trusting in his goodness, trusting in his power, trusting that we can admit our sin, we can embrace his grace, we can pursue reconciliation, and we look forward to the great feast to come. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank for your faithfulness to Joseph, to his brothers, that you brought about a beautiful reconciliation there. We pray that you bring that about in our lives in all the places in our lives where relationships are broken by sin. Would you allow us to admit our sin, to embrace your grace, and to seek reconciliation in this life, trusting you for the great reconciliation to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.